0: Welcome to the Mocking Cast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm David Zoll, your host, and in a few moments I'll be joined by my co hosts, Sarah Condon and RJ Heyman. We come to you every other week to discuss a few of the places where we currently see grace and its absence playing out in unexpected and compelling ways. We're glad to have you with us. Happy, happy, happy New Year to you two. I've missed you. I'm so glad to see you. It's, we've been in the new year for a little while. We're in the middle of January as we record this. Um, so but, but tell me uh, tell me what I, what I want to know. What, how is the holiday? what's, um, what's shaken on the hill? Sarah. Do you want to start?
1: Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> we just, we did it all. You know what I mean? We did a wedding. We did a Christmas staff party where people might have gotten COVID. We did, um <laughs> we, I mean, we just did it all, you guys. I bought all the things and still was sad. Uh I cried for mm, three hours on Christmas Day. Um Aww. Yeah, like sobbed, like dry heaved, like I had to go outside. uh Yeah, like Josh was like, "This Merry is a lot for the Christmas. children." Yeah, exactly. why is mommy vomiting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> why is mommy throwing
0: up? What happened?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, then I, uh, we went to Austin and stayed in a hotel and that was like really, really nice.
2: And Uh, Austin's the best. I love Austin.
1: It is. It's delightful. You know, and it's great. The children swam in like a pool that was not nearly warm enough for me. And, um, I had an adult beverage, so, you know, I think you
0: you you said (laughs) something about like, uh, there is no happier thing on earth than the, the, my my daughter running towards an indoor pool in the hotel lobby it's uh, i have so
1: many pictures of her just like i mean it's just like the bet like she cannot get there dun, dun,
2: dun, dun, fast dun, dun, enough dun, 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 yeah i will say that the thrill amazing. of an
0: indoor pool when you're that age it uh, is it's, it's very much echoed in with among my children it is the basically the coolest thing that's ever happened and yeah i remember yeah. one time we went to
1: bacteria be damned you we know went what to I mean?
0: virginia beach and there's this a <laughs> beautiful beach outside and we're in like a holiday inn and the kids want to go to the tiny indoor pool it's yes. like a you know like a, a germ bath yeah but, yeah um, yeah uh, okay that's here why we their go. immune systems are so strong they
1: just pour chlorine <laughs> into it. there's no actual water you know what I mean
0: I might <laughs> I know I know where it is it, it smells getting stronger
1: right. <laughs> right
0: right RJ how are you doing
2: I'm doing great. I'm doing really, oh, really well. Yeah. I'm sort of surprised. Um, you know, I took a little. Too, RJ. Yes. Honestly, yeah. We uh, are too, Honestly. We are too, buddy. <laughs> I just, I'll tee him up. You hit him out, Sarah Condon. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm doing really good. Uh, we had a great Christmas here, and then I got, you know, a little bit of time off after that. Like, not enough, but it kind of was enough. Um, we are up in Virginia Aww. seeing my brother and his family and um, Jonathan Adams and his family, who we love dearly. Um, and then since I've been back, I just, you know, I guess t- tomorrow is the two-year anniversary of me starting wow. down here. And it's been wow. a crazy two years. It but, has. Um, but I just, uh, you know, we're getting... Settled in a little bit more, and church is good. And I just I don't feel as uh, kind of anxious and exhausted all the huh. time as I did okay. in the fall. So we'll see how long it lasts. But for now, I'm going to enjoy it. Look,
1: we'll take it.
2: Absolutely. RJ, yeah. I,
0: I will. I just think we should just let the record show. <laughs> RJ Heyman was doing great on January 13th, 2022. Praise God. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Guys, we went to uh, England. We, I, I, I know. saw some of your photos, I we this, like negotiated, we, we sort of ran the gauntlet. I mean, right every day as we were getting closer to leaving, because uh, my, my brother and his family li- have lived in England for 15 years. We've always wanted to have Christmas with them. And, um, uh, Omicron was just basically yeah. destroying London. I mean, it was yeah. they're taking no prisoners. And so it was a very kind of stressful lead up. And we decided to go for it uh, and we got there and we had to do all the tests. There's just a gazillion things you have to do. But once that was all settled, it was just glorious. I mean, England, it's enchanting. They have, uh, Mm. we went to Christmas morning at the King's College Chapel and heard probably, you know, I don't consider myself a huge, like, churchy person or nerd, a church nerd in that way, but I don't think I'll ever hear a better, more beautiful version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was just beautiful. It was about as close to uh, heaven as you could get. Was it like
2: um, that movie The Holiday, pretty much? Was it like, uh, it was exactly like The Holiday? Well, it
0: rained the entire time we were there, not just for one day. It was, you know, you just put on the right gear, and you, uh, and Bob's your uncle, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. Um, There's a reason they drink scotch. Here in Continue. Mockingbird
0: Land, we're gearing up for our first sort of hybrid live event, in-person event of the year. It's going to be in Tulsa. If you're listening and you're anywhere close by, you should come and come and drop in or come attend the whole thing. It's on Friday. It's on the I think the 21st and 22nd of um, of uh, January, and it's at Christ Episcopal Church in Tulsa. And I uh, just can't wait. Uh, Chad gonna Bird's going to be speaking. Kara yeah. Slade is speaking. Amazing. Todd will be there. Um, Todd Brewer. Uh, there's a bunch of sort of local folks. Um, yeah. It, it, I think it should be live stream. So pay attention to our website if you want to know about that. We're also going to do the the same old song podcast that we hype so much. They're doing like a, they want to do a live sort of um, presentation on preaching during Lent. And, uh, if you're a person that preaches, if you're a person that sort of wants to hear about how to, how they craft sermons, that's something to tune into as well. I'll put those both in our show cool. notes. That's awesome. I didn't know about that. I should also say a big, big thank you to everyone who pitched in and supported Mockingbird at the end of the year. It was really um, just uh, over the top. So Praise we, God.
1: We're, we're, that's we're so good. We'll keep
0: going for a little while longer. You're stuck with <laughs> okay. us.
1: We got six more weeks on us, and then we'll see.
0: Yeah, that's that's... <laughs> Not true, but it's uh, in in theory.
2: <laughs> Dave, is it too early to uh, to to tell people that you'll be coming to my church at the end of February, which I'm super excited about? Yes, Yes, we're going to have a
0: mini mocking uh, cast uh,
2: time together. Tell us when that is, RJ. It's February. It is Saturday, February 26th. You'll be speaking at Holy Trinity Episcopal Church in West Palm Beach, Florida, and then preaching and teaching on Sunday morning as well. And so if you're in the South Florida area and you're a Dave's all fanboy, as you should be, uh, then come come to Holy Trinity Episcopal Church. I'm looking forward to having you. Should be really fun.
0: Well, if you want to see me make fun of RJ in person.
2: Yes, totally. Absolutely.
0: And we, we'll, we'll shout out to Sarah in all sorts of ways, just because she'll be there in spirit.
1: Just as long as you don't make fun of me.
2: <laughs> She's very sensitive. Very well, sensitive. First <laughs> up, it's
0: a, it's a new year, so let's jump right in. One of the things that is always on people's minds at the new year is uh, what used to be called resolutions, now seems to be called habits oh I think habits is the word I read everywhere and the first thing but I was like
1: oh man that's a bummer okay sorry keep going
0: no the first thing is something that went around that Sarah I I think uh I think uh Melina Smith sent this to me actually yes and then you and I just laughed about it it's a Reese Witherspoon you know um Uh, the actress uh, wrote a tweet that said, let's talk about habits. Are there any that have improved your daily life? Here are some I'm working towards. One, start the day with a big glass of water. Two, get 10 minutes of outdoor light. Three, spend 30 to 60 minutes reading without distraction every day. Four, in bed by 10 p.m. No late night TV binges. Try to get eight hours of rest. And then the barefoot contessa, Ina Garten, uh, who is son of a... I would call her a beacon of comfort
2: Mm. (laughs) in the cold, cold world. (laughs) That's
0: just what her food is. And she's always sort of like, I think I'll have a little more butter. She writes... um, She says, uh, to quote Reese Witherspoon, she responded. She said, that sounds great, but I'm probably not doing any of those things. LOL. My (laughs) formula is easier to follow. One, drink more Large Cosmos. Two, stay up late watching addictive streaming series. Three, stay in bed in the morning playing Sudoku instead of reading a good book. Four, spend more time safely with the people you love. In a pandemic, I do what I can. (sighs) Gotta love Ina keeping
2: it real.
1: You I don't think if... she has
2: preschoolers to get to school. I don't think.
1: Uh... Well, I don't think either of them do. Um, yeah, yeah. You, ha- you have to, like, wonder if I understood the gravity, you know what I mean, of what she said. Because I will say, like, I posted this and there were people that came out that were like, like, I got a couple of DMs about, like being like more pro like don't talk badly about america's sweetheart kind of thing and it was just interesting to i was like i wonder if i understood that she was gonna have such a big response to this mm. you know because you know she's just like casually on her phone like, <laughs> she's, playing like Sudoku. Uh-huh. Yeah. she's got her giant yeah cosmo bar she's like i know what
0: i'm gonna write Here's you know what i think
1: yeah <laughs> yeah and then everyone is like I don't know pitting them against each other, which I don't really think is true either. But um, but Sarah, yeah, I, you
0: you have heard that word habits around?
1: I have. Yeah. It's well. There's some book out that everyone's reading because I saw Good Habits, Withers- Bad
2: Habits. The, no,
1: the it's pa- like some. I don't know. It's like how to the, the Nicomachean reading? Ethics. I don't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the power of habit.
1: It's something I'm not reading. I can tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I just I don't know. I really do think it is as likely for me to die in 2022 as is anything else i just like it's hard for me to not think that way because we've had such sudden loss Mm. and i kind of live life much more that way than i ever did and you what you would think is living life that way means like oh we're gonna go on these vacations and there's like a mountain i wanted to hike and like you know all this kind of stuff and it turns out what it actually means is, you know, those horseradish cheddar potato chips are delicious <laughs> and I need to hug my kid today. You oh. know, like, so it's just it's 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 funny. Like, I think we as Americans really love this kind of um. We love freedom as long as it's productive. Mm. Does that make sense? I don't know.
0: Absolutely. The cult of productivity. I mean, it's a.
1: Yeah. It's like, I'm so, you know, as I'm long so, as I don't
0: fall behind.
1: Yeah. You know? And there's like a sense of like, because I say it carefully, because I, what I don't want people to hear is like, oh, seize the day, you know, like, no, don't seize the day. Get back in bed. You know, like, I think there's this just element of of what is it like if actually like if you were live your life like actually as if you were going to die and not not some like flight of fantasy version of it but actually like who are the people you love who you like need to hold their hand today you know i don't know Mm -hmm. i just i think that's much 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 more
0: important that's so uh, i'm gonna get to something actually you wrote about this in a second but uh, before i do rj um we're, Are you drinking
1: enough water? Are you hydrating? Talk to us, RJ.
2: No, uh, I'm probably drinking more water than okay, I Grace. used to. But I will. So this is going to sound sort of weird. Um, I sort of inadvertently, I did, I did kind of make like make some like not really news resolutions, but I realized sometime late in December that like I don't know, I just didn't feel very good. Mm-hmm. I just kind of felt kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you listen know? to our and last so, episode. Sorry, <laughs> 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 Exhibit A, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, you know, uh, maybe I'll just like try to take a little bit better care of myself, and also try to take a, a little bit better of people that I love, and mm-hmm. and I'm not going to share what those things are because it's mm-hmm. not, you know what I mean. And I do, and I feel better. Yeah, You know, I do actually feel like a little, and I, and I don't know if it's going to last, I'm not pretending that to conflate that with like inner peace or righteousness or anything like that. Um, but it is nice to not be so tired all the time, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, and it and so I will say it didn't come out of a place of like, um, optimization. It was more desperation, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. than optimization. Yeah. And I've been wrestling with that. Cause like everything Reese Witherspoon says is true. It is, the law is true. The law is true. true. You know, I should drink more water. I should get more sleep. I should not stay up late binge watching TV. And when I do, I often feel not terrible the next day. It usually takes two days. It's the day after that I feel terrible. Um, But there's also something so unhelpful about having someone, especially from a position of power, say those things to you. Right there, It's almost like things you have to arrive at on your own. You know, it's, it's, it's like the AA thing of, of uh, you know, when your life finally becomes unmanageable enough, then maybe you're ready to actually uh, do things a little bit differently. Not because someone told you to, but because mm. you don't see another better option. So I'm, I'm weighing those, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not turning to Tony Robbins here, I don't think, you know, and talk to me in two weeks. Mm. Um, but it is nice to just feel, gosh, just a little bit better than I felt for, you know, a while.
1: Well, I think what's important that you said is a distinction between optimization and um, desperation. Yeah. And I think desperation is how God gets in. Mm. So I think that's very different. I think us deciding to optimize is very different from from desperation, which says like, "Lord, please help me." Lord, yeah. I don't know where I'm. You know what I'm doing, and I and I don't feel good. Um, and. I I don't know. I just – for yes, I mean, the things that Reese Witherspoon says are true. I just – I don't know how to say this out sounding like an asshole, so you can just cut it. But, you mm. know, when I read this
2: – We're used I to it. Like, just let's let her rip.
1: I was like, one <laughs> of these women – has had a DUI (laughs) and tried to like hide it and the other one drinks large cosmos and like that is very interesting to me right Mm -hmm. it's like what are the I don't know like whenever people get on this like here's a checklist of things that I'm doing that you should be doing and you're right when it's a celebrity it's like a whole other weight and gravity I'm just like girl are you okay should should you be on a platform right now doing this you know like I don't know
0: no, it is. It is. It, I mean, we pray for pray for dear old Reese. I mean, um, yeah. I, I can't. There's almost something about a certain type of celebrity right now that feels like they have to become a lifestyle influencer. Or yes. or
2: what other option do they have? Or they're
0: doing it <laughs> yeah. wrong. And you I right. need to be relevant. Or
1: a, they lead a quiet life. I mean, I, I think it's cool that dollars. she's got like a
0: book club. I mean, I, that seems to—it's yeah. great that people read. I just thought yeah. to myself,
1: she also sells clothes.
0: But you're right. I'm, the second you're—you're you're being told, "Hey, here's some things," and she's not yes. saying you need to do this. She's saying these are what I'm doing. But she is
2: saying these are some yeah. things. Sure, yeah. it's all, virtue yeah. signaling. And and I will yeah. say, two two of the things I will share that I am actually doing is I am actually watching like a little more TV, and I'm not staying at work quite as long. I love that. And even and even Jamie, you know, my wife works so hard. She works so hard, and we've been like rewatching Seinfeld recently. Yes. And she and she's like, I forgot we could do this. I yes. forgot we could actually just like come home in the evening and before dinner, maybe watch a couple episodes of Seinfeld. So that's also been part of like let's let's take a little bit better care of ourselves and each I other. Love you know, it's that. not just like uh, all the all the usual. I felt so thing.
0: vindicated the other day when Sarah told me that all she really needs in life. Is like a, a nice robe. Uh, Bravo and Seinfeld. I thought yeah, to myself, "Totally, well, this That's is it. we're all yes. we're all together on this, uh, this Seinfeld thing." <laughs>
1: we're rewatching Seinfeld. Well, we started. No, <laughs> it I'm doesn't get good until like season three,
0: really. Well,
1: and you know, my dad loved it, and after he died, I was like, "Look, I got to do that. We got to watch it because Josh loves it, and I've always refused." And we're now at the point where like we're rewatching them. Mm-hmm. Like we've watched that much of it. And they only I'm get like, better. Oh this is so, I mean it's just I don't know it's a soothing balm.
0: Well th- I want to before I get to so, Sarah something you wrote there was a writer a journalist named Faith Hill not the singer uh wrote Oh my god oh, that's bummer. so disappointing. Bummer, the Atlantic. I, know. I, just,
2: <laughs>
0: I thought the singer, I did too. I was uh, like uh, focus uh, it, Hill. unless I'm sorely mistaken I think she's on <laughs> she's on staff at the Atlantic not it doesn't say anything okay. about Tim McGraw um resolutions are not the vibe for 2022 resolutions Mm. are not the vibe She, she writes how 2022 will unfold is so uncertain that choosing new goals feels like setting forth in a snowstorm squinting into a great blurry expanse so i've resolved not to make any resolutions this year and i don't think you should either Believe me, I've tried every Don't trick Don't tell in the me book.
1: what to do. Exactly. I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm going to drink more water. Right.
0: Psychologists, business <laughs> Come people. Come out with
1: a new album. Okay, sorry.
0: And motivational coaches offer endless, sometimes conflicting advice. Set bite-sized goals that you can realistically accomplish. Set difficult goals that stimulate you with a challenge. Make your goals easy to measure. Seek meaningful well-being rather than shallow self-improvement. Avoid temptation. Visualize success. Congratulate yourself for progress. Don't give up if you're lagging. Of course, some people, unlike me, actually fulfill their resolutions, but they're not always happier. Ha-ha! Psychologists call this hedonic adaptation. You may feel buzzed about your achievement, but not for long.
2: Yes. Pretty soon, you'll be thinking
0: about another insufficiency to target. You may keep striving without ever really pausing to feel proud of your success or to reassess whether you were chasing the right ends to begin with. So she says, I've started putting together a list of small good things from the year that ended. I got to visit home and bake tomato bread pudding with my family. I don't know. That sounds good. That sounds awful. So I could immediately throw it away. Adjust your expectations (laughs) of bread pudding, RJ. Uh, (laughs) I love bread pudding. Open your mind.
1: It could be savory. savory. Uh,
0: My roommates and I decorated our new apartment, each adding a piece of ourselves to the whole. I even grew closer to my best friends, shivering through long conversations in triple layered socks when we still couldn't meet in Side. The weather got warmer. I got vaccinated. I read some beautiful poetry. These aren't accomplishments. They're more like gratitudes or bright points or road signs for my future self to follow. They remind me that my life can be beautifully inconsequential. And the oh, things that make me yes, most human, <laughs> the things that make me most human are not particularly unique or impressive. Oh.
1: Let's pray for beautifully inconsequential for Reese Witherspoon. Do you know what I
0: mean? It it goes even further, guys. She says, when I die, there will be no ledger recording how frequently I exercised or wrote in my (sighs) journal or got promoted. There will be people who loved me. I hope to have been a dedicated daughter and sister, a patient coworker, a kind stranger. I hope I help tell stories that maybe changed a few people's minds. In 2022, I'll continue to follow these lodestars without knowing my destination. Nearly two years into a pandemic, maybe that's all right.
1: That's so good.
0: I was kind of knocked got, out by the end of that. That's I remember, so good. Remember when David uh, Brooks talks about the difference between resume virtues and uh, eulogy virtues? Eulogy virtues. Mm. That's what she's sort of talking about, I think. Um,
2: but did you guys see that meme recently with a, a as a picture of a? Um, tree, and there's a little uh, plaque with oh, someone's name, so and it good. says, if you want to live forever, plant a tree, and all that's left is a stump. Yeah. <laughs> it's like been chopped yeah. down. So I did good. see that. I did see that. <laughs> it was pretty
0: funny. Well, what, what, RJ, what do you think of uh, Faith Hill's reflections?
2: Beautifully inconsequential. It reminds me of what Mark Galley wrote a few years ago about the thirst for relevant or is it relevance, or wanting to be relevant, wanting to be important, and about how that's just not... Not a calling of the Christian life. We're not called yeah. to be relevant or important. You know, and he talked about how, how many Christians in particular are serving in these amazing ways that no one will ever hear about. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, you go to the, the you go, there, maybe this is a different article where he's talking about just his struggles with the evangelical church and how broken it is. And yet at the same time, he said, you go to the deepest, darkest hell holes on the face of the planet and you will find evangelical Christians working there yeah. among <laughs> broken people trying to make it better. And, and yeah. you'll never, you'll never hear about it. Right. Um, beautifully inconsequential. Beautifully inconsequential. But you know, but it matters. It matters to God, right? And I, I, whenever we talk about kind of sanctification in my church and what we need to do and the good work, blah blah, blah good works we do. I think, um, you know, I think it was Gerhard Forda who said something like, "He's he's pretty sure." that God hides from us everything, just about everything good he does through us. Because if we could see it, we'd be tempted to take credit for it Mm -hmm. and get a little puffed up, you know, that our our lives are hidden with God in Christ, as Paul says. But Mm -hmm. he also says, um, when Christ is revealed, then your lives will be revealed. You know, this idea that we'll get to heaven and God will say, look at everything I did through your life and we'll just be blown away because we didn't see any of it. Something mm. like that, which I, I think is kind of a cool, so it, beautifully inconsequential, but I do think, um, we still matter to God. We're not, we're not inconsequential to him, you know, even though we may be to the world. Mm. So I love that idea.
0: Sarah, you got anything else to add? I mean, actually, can I just read what you wrote Sarah? Cause I think oh, it's sure. so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. She wrote a piece Aww. called a light year, And she says, I do wonder if anyone is still making a New Year's resolution, like an actual one about weight or money or reading the Bible more. Doesn't it feel like just living is enough right now? Mm. Between the news cycle and how everyone you know has COVID, isn't it incredible that you are still here? You, and she's talking to you, the reader, you, the listener, you, listener, have made it through so much. Why do we ever need a newer version of the person who bravely faced so much pain? I once read that we may not be able to see the touch of God, but that we can see the trace. Surely my 2021 was not the only one full of haunting pain and also relentless compassion. We have made it through an entire year of life. My God, what a remarkable feat. Even if it felt like God had abandoned us, even if we decided we do not believe anymore, even if we laughably think we managed all of this on our own, none of that matters to the one who made us for love. And thank God for that. Sarah, where were, yeah, where were you coming from with this?
1: I mean, I have just done so much this year. <laughs> and frankly, I've just done a lot. And um, you know, I've had so much help um from people uh who I didn't even know wanted to help. And it's just been such an mm. incredible thing. And I and I couldn't have done it without them. And You know, I didn't know how strong I was until this year, and I didn't know how – Resilient I was, but I also didn't know how soft I was. Mm. You know, I just am like, why would I forsake this person who's lived this year and be like, this person's gonna like me? Like, why would I say to me, mm. like, you have to be new now? But the, the, it's unchristian. I just, I just don't think that it's Christian. Like, who do we think we are that we're gonna make ourselves new in the new year? What a ridiculous yes. concept, yes. you know? Yes. Like, yes. and like, what has God sustained us through in this past year? What me? miracles have i mean what miracles have we walked through and why would we act like all that was trash even this past year like if i can look at this past year and see that like and i i never want to say this to people because because i never want trauma comparison and i feel like most of the time i'll win but like if i can look at this past year and be like Oh my God, what a miracle this past year was like you, you can too. like it's, it's, you know, it's there for well, you. you. And even if you can't, yeah. that doesn't mean that the miracle didn't happen and that God wasn't with you. So oh.
0: Oh, there's this clip that you put at the bottom of it from the end of gravity where oh, Sandra yeah. Bullock is crawling out of the yeah. a lake sort of, yeah. uh, she's, she's crash landed to earth and she's just, been through the, such an ordeal, such the ringer, and you've been—you've basically been. If you've watched that movie, you've sort of been clenching your shoulders for an hour and a half. And uh, she's just stands up in gratitude and is like, "This is this is how we approach the new year." Not saying, you know, I could have pulled off that landing a little better, I better, better yeah. try it again next year. It's it's more, it's much more. Um, I'm gonna walk one step in front of the other, and she can barely do it. And yet, it's this beautiful day, and I—I I don't know. I—I I thought that the after reading your words and watching that, I thought, oh, mm-hmm. my, oh my goodness, because yeah. um, at least for me, I've—I've—I've I've spent years, and we've—we've we've always sort of come around to resolutions because it's a helpful cultural touch point. Um, Habits. When I think of habits, I can't think of a single good habit I have. Like I don't. I know I do nice Mm. things for people. I know I. I love my children, and I you know say prayers with them at night, and I hug them, and I. I just was just with one of them for lunch, and but I don't. Mm. The only habits I can think of are bad habits. Like, do you guys think you know what I've got? I've got a really great habit um, of uh, never (laughs) interjecting when someone is speaking to me. You know, I, I just don't know. If this habit language yeah. is anything other than um, uh, an illusion, Horse I guess. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was trying to say. I,
1: habit is just not a very sexy word. I don't know. It's just like, all, like, where do where like? It sounds also, like, a little like, more approachable. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's what nuns wear. is Habits, well, like, it's just. I don't
0: know. Someone I, somewhere thought it's the way that people think of virtue is a lot more approachable than just moral law. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 just so sad. I think given the year of trauma, I mean, I just heard on uh, the radio they were talking about is over a hundred thousand children lost a parent to COVID this past year. Think about Oof. that.
2: Oof. Like, yeah.
1: And some of them lost both parents. Um, and you gon- you going to come at me with habits? Mm. No, thank uh, you.
0: Uh-uh.
1: No, no, no. It's mm-hmm.
0: just weak sauce, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, But I, at the same time, like, I was a person, I've talked about it before, but I, the past couple years, I have... I guess gotten into the habit, or the exercise has become much more re- yeah. re- part of my Soapbox. life. Yes, I, I I wake up three days a week and work out in the morning, and I, but I don't. I, I and yes, it has become sort of second nature. But mm-hmm. I do it. The, the times when I fall away from it, it's I, I get a text message from one of the guys and says, "Hey, we miss you," you know, and oh
1: man, and I but that's I think to myself, like community. T- I was yeah. like, "That's God," but that baby. doesn't feel that's like a, a Dave, habit. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> and it also, I came to it, and what I fe- realized. Very quickly that uh, I was desperate for it. You know, it was yeah. it was not, um, yeah. And that's why I showed up in the first place.
2: So when we were in Virginia, we were just driving, I was driving around one day, and I wanted to put some music on, and I turned the radio on, and I found like a station with classical music. And it's been like a long time since I listened to classical music, and I was like, this is actually I like this. Like this is nice, you know. And so one thing I have been trying to do is like get up a little, and also. I never eat breakfast. I always wake up anxious. I have a cup of coffee. I'm rushed and I'm out the door every day. And this year I was like, you know what? I'm going to get up a little bit, just a little bit early, like 15 minutes. I'm going to put on classical music. I'm going to make myself a cup of coffee. I'm actually going to have something for breakfast and just like try to enjoy my life a little bit more, you know, and not feel so put upon and stressed out all the damn time. And it's been nice that's you so know, good. And, and probably in a couple of weeks, you know, I'll be like, "This isn't working for me anymore." Um, I don't know, but I, yeah, it just it's such a better way to wake up than to just uh, have a stomach ache and then be hungry yeah. all day long. You know what I mean? Of course, like, I don't. Yeah. So, so there's, and it's not like anyone told me to do that. I was just like, I, I, I just want to. I want yeah. to do this thing because I'm tired of feeling this way.
0: Well, they have. A, so I'm I not going to write a book about it or <laughs> a
2: Facebook post about it. I'll just tell twenty thousand listeners about it. <laughs> So (laughs) (laughs) you heard it here first. I think the, uh, what, one of the the things
0: we're not really mentioning is that the way that resolutions often make their way into religion and, um, this just notion that what you really need to do is make a decision and more of a decision to be better, to be holier, mm-hmm. to be, to believe more, to, um, and that's a very, uh, unfortunately that, that mindset has is, um, sometimes been very characteristic of certain elements of the church and, and, and it has been reclaimed. People characterize it as sort of the quiet times of the evangelical world, but you get into the disciplines of the, you know, of the certain types of, um, sacraments and it sounds a whole, like the the monks and, you know, there's a high church version of it as well. It's, (laughs) I just think anything that gets to this sort of, uh, what the bottom line, if you want to improve your life is you need to try harder. If that is the bottom line, if that's the message, it can sell for a little bit because you're giving people a roadmap, but it will not, it will let them down and simply because it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, the reason, as, as Mull writes, like, long-term behavior patterns largely are not created by stringing together a series of conscious choices. They're just not. No.
2: Mm. Well, Dave, we've talked about this before, you know, that when you... The only way people actually start acting differently ever is if they either crash and burn or if if whatever they're doing gives way to a greater love right? Gives, gives way to something, you know, uh, and, and usually both of those things at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. A combination of two things that it's not a conscious decision to stop doing something that you sort of still like to kind of do. It's either you crash and burn, uh, or, um, there's something that you want to do more, yeah you know, something that sounds more attractive. Like for whatever reason, it started sounding more attractive to me to get up a little bit earlier and have breakfast and listen to classical music than be a stress case, than be a total disaster stress case, you know? Yeah. Um, so whatever. Well, I want to, let's shift from this
0: because I do think it's time to talk a little bit more um, intently about Seinfeld. Um, and this is yes. from uh, uh, The Economist. Bartleby writes about the rise of performative work. The rise of performative work. And uh, he begins, or she, I don't know who Bartleby is, it, it's saying, referencing, In an episode of Seinfeld, the character of George Costanza reveals the secret of pretending to work. The secret is, you know what it is? You guys know what it is? Mm -mm. To act irritated Act like you're sort of upset
1: He shakes his head,
0: frowns and sighs To demonstrate the technique When you look annoyed all the time People think that you're busy Costanza says And in the comments posted below the clip on YouTube, visitors report with delight that the tactic really does work, and they offer a few tips of their own, walk around the office carrying manila envelopes, um, et etc. et cetera. And if you've seen that episode, <laughs> it's very funny. George is just always trying to find a way out of work, and he's working harder to get a way out of work than actually doing the work. Um and uh, But Bartleby writes, before the pandemic turned everyone into remote, remote employees, managers worried that working from home would be a paradise for slackers like George Costanza. People would be out of sight and out of mind, starting late, clocking off early and doing nothing in between. The reality of remote working has turned out to be different. Days have become longer and employees are demonstrably visible. Work has become more performative. The simple act of logging on is now public. Green dots by your name on messaging channels are the virtual equivalents of jackets left on chairs and monitors turned on. Calendars are now frequently shared. Empty ones look lazy. Full ones appear virtuous. Meetings, the office's answer to the theater... Have proliferated. <laughs> Sarah, mm. Sarah was texting me during a particular meeting this week, and we were commenting <laughs> on this very fact. Yes. Uh, meetings are harder to avoid now that invitations must be responded to, and diaries are public. And even if you don't say anything, cameras make meetings into a miming performance. An attentive expression and occasional nodding now count as a form of work. The chat function is a new way to project yourself. Uh, Satya Nadella, the boss of Microsoft, says that comments in chat help him to meet colleagues he would not otherwise hear from. Maybe so, but that is an irresistible incentive to pose questions that do not need answering and offer observations that are not worth making. (laughs) Performative celebration is another hallmark of the pandemic. Once one person has reacted to a message with a clapping emoji, others are likely to join in until a virtual ovation is underway. (laughs) At least emojis are fun. The arrival of a round-robin email and Announcing a promotion is as welcome as a rifle shot in an avalanche zone. So someone responds with congratulations, and then another recipient adds their own well wishes. As more people pile in, pressure builds on the non-responders to reply as well. Within minutes, colleagues are telling someone they have never met in person how richly they deserve their new job. Um, I know we escape some of this probably by working in, in nonprofits, it, but, yeah. but this is still very recognizable to, to me yeah. meetings. I, it's, uh, I have to say it was always like college class. You know, if you hadn't read the book, you had to figure out a way, uh, to make a comment in the first few minutes, uh, so mm-hmm. that they know that you participated and then you'd be quiet during the discussion of the things that you didn't read sort of college student 101. If you're listening out there, college <laughs> kids, uh, you know, I think that's, I don't think I don't need any credit for that. Um, But what do you guys think about this?
1: I mean, I was in a meeting this week that shall go unnamed with, I would say, mostly men. And I was definitely the only ordained woman. And I was like, y'all got this. I'm just going to be quiet. I feel like y'all can encourage each other or do whatever it is you men folk want to do. And they did. And I just was like, I'm not. You know, I mean, I think I actually like now when I'm in meetings, I it's funny. I, ugh, I'm sorry. This is like such a before and after Sarah episode, but like I really used to be the person. I was like, oh, I need to have something to say. I need to do this. I need to do that. And now I'm just like... know i really like my job and i love my college students and like i think it's gonna be okay you know like it's just like i can't i can't live in that space i also know i have the luxury of not really having a lot of meetings and so i don't have to do that a lot and i know i mean we i mean we definitely escape a lot of this that people face in the secular world mm. where like it is like you're a, it's like you're a kid again. it's like you're in class again and you can be like randomly actually at the meeting this week, somebody said that he was gonna just call on us at random if we didn't answer his questions enough.
0: Are you kidding? Well,
1: what I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding, I'm not kidding. And so I pulled out a sticky note and I wrote, no, thank you, please. And I put it on the side of my computer and I proceeded to do what I needed to do. And I was like, well, now I know what to say if he calls on me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, but if we're treating like adults like that in churchy circles, like we're treating everyone like that, Mm. you know, it's just like fascinating. Um,
0: this idea that it's more important to... Sh- sh- We've talked about it a little bit before, but this idea to to, to to demonstrate that you're working is more important than actually working. I mean, it's... it's Jesus is coming back, look busy. It's a justification yes. game, and it's just a game. It, it turns... Yeah. It's the gamification of everything, and yeah. uh, I find it to be exhausting. I, I'm a person mm-hmm. that's... I, you know, the, the constant refrain these days is that's a, that's a meeting that could have been an email. You know, I, th- mm-hmm. I think... Um, uh, or, you know, or that's an email that could have been a text. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, while I resent the push towards efficiency in all cases, the reason I want to avoid, personally, I want to avoid the meetings is because I, that it's the, it's the charade of having to, um, of uh, perform your significance. You're like, oh, I have to, I have to say something, and therefore I'm going to take up everyone's time, which I, I find to right. be a, sort of an affront. That we're all just, it's um. It's not actually there to do what it says it's to do, which is to to meet and to talk. Instead, it's a way to demonstrate your um, ability or your insight your or your intelligence. Yeah, you usually. It's ultimately it's your worth, right? Um,
2: yeah. The thing which struck me about this was uh, how looking annoyed isn't or being angry isn't just the key to appear that you're working hard. It's actually now the key to um, showing that you're sort of a worthwhile human being that yes. you care about the world. You know what I mean? That whole, yes. like if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention, right? you know, that bumper sticker. It's like, you better be angry about everything all the time. And the mm-hmm. right thing, well, not just everything, the right things. Cause if you're not, then like you're you know you're just uh you're living a meaningless worthless existence space. and just taking up space exactly and that's, that's, so you better yeah. be part of the solution which means being
0: angry but what and that is that's the pressure not just to do something that's the pressure to feel something and yeah. a lot of people around covid for example i think it's, it's not just the pressure to wear the mask it's the pressure to be panicked like if you're not as upset about this as i am then you obviously don't care it's the, that that sort of pressure anytime you pressure another person to feel a certain thing uh, we recoil i mean i don't know who care who you are uh Earlier when we were talking about resolutions, the second that person was suggesting an imperative, both of you guys said, what? Don't tell me what to do, but certainly don't tell me how to feel like even if even if I've even if I've signed a contract where you can tell me what to do, you do not tell me how to feel. Because that is, uh, that's talk about a recipe for rebellion, resentment, and just uh, uh, escape, right?
2: But at the, the, yes, at the same time, I mean, all these, you know, cable news and and these YouTube channels and that just gin up outrage, it is kind of, um, how do I say this? I exist because I'm angry. You know, I um, I, I matter because I'm angry. I'm paying attention because I'm I'm angry, and it's almost like I, ca- I can now um, be angry vicariously through somebody else, mm-hmm. and I can sort of experience like, the level of outrage that makes me feel like I'm doing something. There's you know, anger is just so validating. It gives our, people our, meaning when
0: they're afraid. It's so validating,
2: her. and it's and it's just ex- it's exhausting, but it also works. People want to be scared, and they want to be angry, and they want to have an someone an opponent. You know, someone to vilify, um, and and our our culture is very good at at you know scratching all those itches. Hmm. Yeah. Huh.
0: Well. Uh, let's- go to something a little sappier uh, you know we've with the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast and we've had several pieces where we've sort of um, you know it's been very easy to decry the many problems with American Christianity especially American Evangelicalism um, here there was something in the Wall Street Journal that struck me and it's, it's by no means uh, completely straightforward but it was, it was written by Francis Rocca Samantha Pearson and Luciana Mugga Hales and it's a long article with incredible pictures about why the Catholic Church is losing Latin America, and I, I didn't know, maybe you did, that Brazil is on track this year to become minority Catholic. Whoa. Yeah, that's uh, not... Uh, and huh. So what's what's? I'll, let me start with a little story about someone in Rio de Janeiro. Tatiana Aparecida de Jesus used to walk the city streets as a sex worker, high on crack cocaine. Um Last year, the mother of five joined a small Pentecostal congregation in downtown Rio called Sanctification in the Lord and left her old life behind. The pastor hugged me without asking anything, said Mr. Mm. Jesus 41, who was raised a Catholic and is one of well, one is one of more than a million Brazilians who have joined an evangelical or Pentecostal church since the beginning of the pandemic, according to researchers. When you're poor, it makes so much of a difference when someone just says good morning to you, good afternoon or shakes your hand, she said. Yeah. For centuries, they write, to be Latin American was to be Catholic. The religion faced virtually no competition. Today, Catholicism has lost adherence to other faiths in the the region, especially Pentecostalism. The shift has continued even under the first Latin American Pope, Pope Francis. Critics point to the Catholic Church's failure to satisfy the religious and social demands of many people, especially among the poor. But this is not straightforward. He says, Latin Americans often describe the Catholic Church as out of touch with the everyday struggles of the, its congregation. Um, The the writers uncovered that the rise of liberation theology in the 1960s and 70s, a time when the Catholic Church in Latin America increasingly stressed its mission as one of social justice, in some cases drawing on Marxist ideas, failed to counter the appeal of Protestant faiths. Or in the words of a now legendary quip, variously attributed to Catholic and Protestant sources alike, the Catholic Church opted for the poor and the poor opted for the Pentecostals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> According to a 2014 survey, the most popular reason given by former Catholics in Latin America for embracing some form of Pentecostalism was that to have a more personal connection with God. That's 81% said that. Nearly 6 wow. in 10 said they left Catholicism because they found a church that helps members more. The Reverend Martin Lessart, a Uruguayan priest appointed by Pope Francis to the Vatican Synod on Latin America's Amazon region, uh, believed that the church's uh, emphasis on political and social issues above religious experience is partly to blame. In such cases, it quote, lacks the existential sense of the joy of living the gospel, this personal encounter that so many Pentecostal churches give to the person.
1: I keep thinking about like the the stuff my boss uh, used to say to me that um, Jason Evans, who has since moved to California, but it was like, Our job is, it was like give gifts, tell stories, throw parties, Mm -hmm. something, you know, it was like, I mean, that's, that's like our job, um... And sometimes, yeah, sometimes
0: people hear this though, and they think, are you saying that Christians shouldn't help the poor or be involved in social justice?
1: Which is not, and at all. and that's not at yeah. all. It says it's, it's the cart before all. the
0: horse. Yeah. And, um, yeah,
1: yeah. It's like, first you have to love the poor and know the poor,
0: if the poor themselves, right? first you
1: have to touch them and hug them and like ask them what they what actually, they actually want, what they actually need. Yeah. And what that woman yeah.
0: wanted was to be acknowledged and to be welcomed and to be f- physically treated like a human being. Not to be,
1: and you may, and and then the thing is, like if you do that really well, you may not get to the second stop.
2: Mm, yeah, <laughs> reminds <laughs> no, me of a couple I don't things. Know. Yeah. I mean, no, that's true. No yeah. one wants to yeah. hear that, but. No, what is it? They won't They won't uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care, which yeah. is really uh, pithy to say, but it's totally, but it's, it's 100% true. Like the bishop, um, now deceased Bishop Ed Salmon of South Carolina used to say, remember that in ministry, what matters is the one, mm-hmm. the one person, not mm-hmm. the crowd, the congregation, mm-hmm. the one person person. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know um I think Paul Walker is really good at that too. You know, I've heard people say that when, you know, it doesn't matter how big the room we are in it, when Paul Walker is talking to me, I feel like I'm the only person well, that's there. What, that's what, he's not waiting to talk to somebody and that's else. That's what you Spufford
0: know? would always said about Jesus. He had a way
2: of uh That's right. Uh, make, the one.
0: treating the person in front of him as though they're the only person there. Yeah. And people hear that again and the critic critique is like, well that sounds, that's hyper individualistic and very Western and you want to say, well, um, It sounds that way until you're the individual. <laughs> and,
1: and I mean, Christianity is the hyper individual.
0: What's so wrong with individuals? To, that,
1: <laughs> it's, again, it's again, it's like, okay, like, yes, you want to do this grand thing, but first you have to do this very, and first there is the matter of the heart, mm. you know?
2: And who wants to understand themselves as a part of a group? Like, you want to understand other people that way, but no one wants to be like, well, I'm defined by, I mean, I guess some people want to do that, but not, not r- really. I, mean, I don't not know, not really. really. Yeah, not really. And it, and yeah. it um, Dave, was did we talk about the article here like years ago? The uh, those people who had survived the the killing fields in Cambodia, and they they took boats over to America. And when they got here, all these psychologists were ready to help them deal with the trauma. But all they really cared about was all the romantic intrigue that happened on the boats on the way over from Cambodia. Yeah. That's you know an El- I mean. Elizabeth Gilbert <laughs> book, like, I think. Yeah, yeah that's crazy you know it's like yeah 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 all these people die but what I really care about is this <laughs> guy who I thought liked me but he went for my sister instead yeah. <laughs> you know
0: like, that's exactly that's exactly what the, the truth I is I
2: love that just amazing yeah. amazing yeah. yeah
0: but I mean th- I, listen Pentecostal if you study uh, evangelicalism and Pentecostalism in Brazil there are problems there's a lot of same problems the church problems the the you know uh, celebrity oh, totally. problems are huge and they're, they're, they're there it's not to excuse yeah it, but it's just, yeah. this, this sort of a shift though um, yeah. is an indictment okay. a little bit. I think um, because, you know, it's not, Catholicism is not understood that way in other parts of the country, but the, the, the if people are actually seeking after a, a God who cares about them and they're not getting it at one spot, uh, they're clearly getting at this other. And that's what we can just praise the fact that Lonely people and poor people are feeling, uh, acknowledged, heard, loved, and embraced. I mean, that's a beautiful
2: thing. There's also a guy I knew, um, Tim Halls, who's, uh, he was a missionary outside Rio for like 30 years or so. Really such a great guy. But he said the, the conversion stories he heard, at least when he was working there, and again, now he hasn't been there for 10 or 15 years, were stories like, well, you know, I used to have cancer, and then Jesus healed me, and so now I follow Jesus. Mm. Or I used to worship this other God, um, and then I met this person, and I could tell that their God is more powerful than my God, and I asked them who they worshiped, and they said Jesus, and so now I worship Jesus. You know, it was it was sort of an immediate, almost, uh, and there was a, a, a spiritual liberation or healing or, and not liberation theology, but like personal liberation or healing, um, which is why people came to follow which I found to be Mm -hmm. striking. Like he said, the conversion stories you heard were a little bit different than the ones that, um, you heard in America, which I thought was interesting. Sarah?
1: I guess I do want to say like, as a couple of Protestants who might sound like we're shitting on the Catholic church, um, you know, I, know very faithful Catholics who have a personal relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. Um, you know, one family member in particular who I absolutely adore who's a personal relationship with Jesus. And I would say that the problems um that the Catholic Church is having in Latin America are the same problems that the Protestant, you know Mainline denominations are having in the United States. But that's
0: why it's interesting, frankly, because these, yeah. these, these yes. mirrors. Yes. And yes. if you're not being addressed personally and your actual hurts of your life aren't being somehow touched upon. Right. Uh, and and right. all you're getting is lectures about systemic things. Uh, eventually, you yeah. will go to the place that you feel is, is talking to you. Whether it's a good place to go or not. You know, it's just, it's, uh, right. Sarah, you've you've talked about that. Uh, I remember you talking about when you were, uh, pregnant and tired and kept going to church and hearing how you weren't doing enough. And for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It was, I mean, it was the you know the seminary environment I was in was just like you're not doing enough. There's another cause, you know, that that you need to be a part of. And
0: well, one of the things they also talk about in that article though is that there's it is there the, it, to extent there is something theological going on. It's a less mediated experience. Like you can have a ten person. Pentecostal church, you could just pop up. You don't have to run it by anyone. And all of a sudden you're actually talking to people and you're not waiting in line. they, 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 a lot of, they interview a lot of people who say that they couldn't ever get coffee with their priest and they were dying to. And then there's Mm. stories one after another of these people stuck in addiction and in all manner of dire straits. And the, and as you know, as you sort of paraphrased Galley earlier, but like the only people that were willing to not uh, just Do a
2: treat them like garbage, treat them like
0: garbage, or do a long, you know, uh, give them a wide orbit. Were these uh, Pentecostal evangelicals who felt called to do so? And there's, yeah, I don't know. I'm in need all the time, especially in in 2022, of hearing like Mm. people whose lives have been Mm. not just helped by the church, or hasn't just been neutral, but it's been the experience um, that has. Turned everything around, and it wasn't a yeah. habit. It was a it was a direct intervention of love, you know, and right.
1: Yeah, I I we had our like mom's small group last night, and we have forty women in this group, and I had Ugh. four women show up last night, uh, which is fine. And a bunch of them listened to this, and I am not like uh, you're not in trouble. Um, but you know, four women needed it. Four women showed up, so it was there were five of us, and uh, one of the moms in our group uh, just finished chemo uh last week and she was like you know when you go through anything like that that's that big um a lot of things in your life get put on hold you know and like going through stuff and like you know organizing rooms and she's like one of those people that's super organized and it was really getting to her and I was like you know I don't have anything going on on Friday? Like I could come over and like I'm I'm expert level at throwing things away because of my life circumstances.
0: Fly up to Virginia, like, please.
1: <laughs> I was like, I, I I will throw things away, you know. And, um, and so I, so I was in there and then, and and then another friend was like, I can take things, uh, to be donated. And then another friend was like, well, I can come after 9am because I've got to read to my, my kids class. And suddenly there's like, you know, it's like, look what God does with this small group of women who love each other, who love Jesus, who we know Jesus loves us. Like, look at what we're doing, you know, like, and I think it's that kind of like, just like the intersection of the cross, that is like what Christianity means. And we're totally helping her. Right. But also like we are, we're in community and loving each other. And like, I don't know. I mean, I think there, there's something like people need the real stuff, Mm. you know, and they're going to go wherever they need to go to find it. Yeah. So
0: that's the point. Uh, And uh, I wish that the, it's again, as I, I just think it's worth underscoring. It's not the Catholic Church's problem. It's, it's no. my church's problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah and yeah, I am, yeah. this is the reason, that's why this resonated. In fact, though, I think I, I want to end with what this is actually from 2013, but a beautiful, beautiful example of what that looks like in our context. This is by a, a, a professor, a woman named Mallory McDuff. She wrote this for Sojourners in 2013 Why I Cry in Church. she says during the service I sobbed in the sanctuary like many people facing midlife I've experienced a bit of despair the loss of parents a pregnancy a marriage as I used my sleeve to wipe the tears from my cheek I saw friends raising their hands to the edges of their eyes as well it was as if we'd been holding back grief for weeks waiting for this opening this invitation but what was I grieving and why was church such a safe place for me to cry Skeptics might say that as a premenopausal woman with a teenage daughter, I'm apt to cry at the slightest provocation, which may be true, but I believe something different happens when we expose our vulnerabilities in a community of faith. A close friend told me her theory that we are being seasoned in church each week, preparing to be broken open in ways that we cannot anticipate. So we pray the liturgy, sing the hymns, and go through the motions, yet this seasoning of our spirits prepares us to be tender-hearted, open to the workings of prayer. This makes sense to me. There are so few places where we can bring our raw emotions without a self-conscious need to explain or escape to the nearest bathroom, which happens when we get teary-eyed at work or in line at Home Depot. Perhaps church is one of those last safe havens where we can cry in public for no reason. A Southerner by birth and the daughter of an Episcopal priest, my mother always told me that church was the best place to cry. I remember her eyes filling with tears at the beauty of a hymn, the elegance of the liturgy, or the sadness of a season. As a child, I didn't have to understand. I just had to sit by her side in the pew. Um. Kids need to
2: be in church. <laughs> Stop taking them out for the lame program. Don't tell me what to do. Um. <laughs> That, that, that reminds me, you know, a little while back, um, every so often we get just lovely little notes from mm. listeners and someone sent one and the line I'll remember was, um, how Mockingbird had created a space in her life for sadness. Yeah. And I thought that was just, to me, that's what grace is about. It is just the space that like you don't have to have your act together. You don't have to be happy or pursuing happiness or righteous or anything. You can just um, be sad. And there are very few places in our world where that's a safe thing to do, but it's also something that we all need so much, even, and we don't know it mm-hmm. a lot of the time until we're sort of surprised sometimes to find ourselves um, in tears.
0: Yeah. Everyone, yeah. the grief that just pours out of people when they're allowed to connect with it. Um, and just, by the way, the article all happens sort of in light of an amazing sermon she hears, um, huh. and so it's not detached. It's not just the architecture or just the liturgy. There's there's right. something there's it's there's a personal a disp- word, a disposition and a, a word of grace and permission, uh, sort of to 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 really. In fact, the preacher goes there first and sort of talks about how he is uh, frantically busy in order to avoid the loneliness he feels. And at that point, she starts to cry Whoa. because she has her own. Um, feelings of loneliness and i i thought that 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 line um the it's it's one of the only places to cry in public for no reason like if i see someone crying in church i'm not surprised i'm not i'm not thinking oh something needs to be done i'm sort of thinking Mm -hmm. like this is great like or i'm not i'm Mm -hmm. not i don't i'm not happy someone's crying but i'm
2: thinking like something's happening better here
0: than at home depot you know yeah Um, I don't know. And you don't have to, you, as Sarah, you, like to, you were you were mentioning earlier, you don't like the comparative trauma or comparative suffering. You mm-hmm. don't have to have had an experience like mm-hmm. what you had to still be grieving mm-hmm. the loss of um, a dream or the loss of, of a feeling or the, I don't, I don't know what it is. Or sometimes
1: like I just day. cry in church and there's no reason. <laughs> like I don't, I can't, you know what I mean? Like I'm like, this looks like it's going to be a cry day. The thing that I love about crying in church is it's like, it reminds me a little bit of um, before my brother's wedding, my therapist had said, um, it's good for you to have a service for your mom and dad because the wedding was two days after the one-year anniversary of their death date. And she said, grief is going to need a place. Otherwise, it's going to be in everything. Mm. And which is so true and we did a service and it was so beautiful and helpful but i think that that is true for church i think that it is a place like you can cry like the one thing i love about church is i never leave crying Mm. you know like i cry when i'm there and then i'm done you know (laughs) and then i walk out and um, and I, the other thing I love about crying in church is sometimes the whole ser- like the whole service happens. And then this past Sunday, um, you know, a parishioner came up to me and, um, was asking me how we're doing and we're talking about my parents. And I started to cry then like, like it's also the community, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's all of these kind of, of things that happen that it, it just, it's a good place to cry. Hey. It is. And no one comes up to you and says like, are you was everything okay? Are you okay? Like no one does that. They just you're given your space. I don't know. Mm. I just
0: That's that's know. beautiful. I I I think there needs to be more crying in more churches. Mm. And I mm-hmm. think that that's what um, some of those people in Latin America are experiencing. Remember my little brother when he talks about the church that he and his wife uh, attend—that uh, in Oxford, they it was a small mm-hmm. church and they didn't think you know, it didn't quite align with you know their uh, um, you know it was a little I guess higher uh, mm-hmm. in in but the the minister got up there and she said. Um, I want church to be a place where you can bring your love and bring your grief. Mm. Oh. And they thought at that moment, it's like, I don't care what comes in, like, mm. the, we got to be here. Like this is, sounds like yeah. Yeah. if that's the understanding at play, it truly, I mean, it, yeah. it, sometimes people say things in the actual understanding operative things different but they thought that's
1: they don't say that though they babe. don't usually you know say, that, I mean? no. they don't say that yeah
0: <laughs> people want to run they away say from like,
1: grief. church is a place where we accept everyone and love everyone and then they're like not good at it but if they say the g word if they're up there talking about grief then like you can trust it that's you know stupid.
0: i hope i think that's you know i think that's kind of true because it's such a scary word
1: <laughs> oh it's an awful you think word. it's gonna no send to people away you know yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Well, RJ, uh, I want to close by asking you what you are preaching this weekend, and do you have a good word for us?
2: I think I'm going to talk about how uh, uh, baptism is as death. How we're all how, how the Bible says we're we're all dead, mm. you know. But we're also been raised to new life. You know, mm-hmm. buried with Christ in His death, and raised to this new this new thing, this life, this gift of life we've been given. I think that's what I'm going to say, but I don't really know until Sunday morning. So I got like right. three days to figure okay. it out. I, know, right. I love putting you on
0: your spot. Are you going to, what, what habits are you going to be encouraging in your congregation?
2: I'll be encouraging no habits whatsoever. <laughs> um, however, I personally am going to try to continue to listen to classical music and eat breakfast. Those are my huge, those are my goals are my, and, watch, and watch Seinfeld. Oh, and also Cobra Kai. I've been watching that Cobra That is the Kai oldest man shit. Well. I love it. I'm embracing it, baby. <laughs> I am. I finally, you know, yeah. Like, I, I, I gotta, I gotta start enjoying every, every day, just a little tiny bit, you know? I
1: love it, RJ. He,
2: he's Thank aging on the inside,
0: will. everyone. So
1: good. Finally. Um,
0: yeah. Well guys, it's so, so wonderful to be back with you and happy new year Aww. to everyone who's listening. I love you guys. It's really happy fun. I'm excited too. for, uh, 2022 and, um, Hopefully this yeah. is a place uh, <laughs> that could be a place for, for sadness as well as humor and uh, Love and grief. grace. Love, Love and grief. grief. Love and grief. Um bye you too.
2: Bye. Bye. You saw me crying in the child. The tears
0: I shed were tears of joy.
1: I know the meaning of content. Now I'm happy
2: with the Lord. Just a plain and simple chat Where humble people go to pray.
1: I pray the Lord that I'll grow strong. As I live from day to
0: day, I've searched, I've searched, I've searched, I've searched but I, I
2: couldn't find no way on earth to gain oh. peace of mind. Now I'm happy in the chapel where people are.
1: Yes, we gather in the chapel just to sing and praise the Lord. You'll search and you'll search, you'll search, but you'll
2: never find no way on earth to gain peace of mind your troubles to the chapel.
0: Get down on
1: your knees and pray. pray. Then your burdens will be light. And
2: you'll show.
0: Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find us on the web at www.emberd.com and we'd always love to hear from you at info@emberd.com. Audio production for the Mocking Cast is provided by TJ Hester, and if you like what you've heard, please drop over to iTunes and leave us a rating or review. Until next time.